Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like him. Well, good morning. How we doing? Everybody good? Y'all sounded great singing. Good job. Way to go. Uh-oh, my notes are not in order. That's not a good thing. We'll get there. We'll get to it. Hey, my name is Alan. If you're new here, thanks for coming. I am not Pastor Bobby, so I'm not the main guy that's normally up here. So if it's your first time, come on back next week. You can hear from him. Um, he'll, he'll continue our series today. But we are studying the book of Ruth together, and so we're excited about that. It's a small little book right in the Old Testament. About eight books in, we find the book of Ruth. It happens between judges and the people of Israel going through judges, and then uh, the kings start showing up in, in the Old Testament. And the little book of Ruth shows up right there in between all of that. And so that's where we started last week, and we will continue this week and in the next couple of weeks to do that. Um, but before we get started there, I just want to say thanks to Greg and the band. Greg normally leads us down at our Sherwood campus in South Augusta, and so we're excited to have him up here. Justin will be back with us next Sunday as well. And so it's going to be a good time together. Um, but we are going to be in this series and we're going to talk about this uh, here, um, but I wanted to catch you up. <coughs> Excuse me. If you were here last week, um, you knew that you should read chapter two today. So who read chapter two? Good job. Good job, people. Um, I have a lot of pressure in this series, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, if you come to our connect groups, they meet on campus on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday nights. They've been studying the book of Ruth. And so I told Angie, um, who you saw at the video at the very beginning, like, there's a lot of pressure. Like, y'all are studying this book for like six or eight weeks, and we're preaching on it. Y'all are going to like catch us and like make sure we don't do nothing wrong um, when we, when we te- teach this series. So I told her I was nervous. Well, then she also came to my office on Monday and said, listen, I know you're getting ready for week two. Um, I just listened to this great message on the way to church or on the way to the office um, that was so good. It made me cry. I was like, oh, my goodness. All right, more pressure. So not only have you read it, not only are there people in our group studying it, but now people are crying about this chapter. I got to make you cry today as part of this. No, I hope that doesn't happen at all. I am the non-emotional guy on staff. So um, I don't like tears. If you start crying, it's just weird for me. So I start backing away and getting away from it. Um, It's just not what I just say. Good job. And we'll move on um, and make us all happy. Um, But that's where we are in Ruth chapter two is where we're going to be today. But before we get there, we're going to go over a couple of things. So let's do some review. Uh, last week was chapter one in the book of Ruth. And Pastor Bobby talked about how even when really bad things are happening and life is not going the way you want it to go and tough stuff has happened, Ruth and her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law all had their husbands die. They were in a famine. It was just not good situations. Um, he talked about how we had to move in God's direction. We had to get on the path and move in God's direction. And when he said that, um, in fact, here's the quote, so I'll make sure I don't even mess it up. Here's what he says. He says, for even when you feel empty and bitter and afflicted and abandoned and your life is full of misfortune, even in those weakest moments, your harvest is within reach if you keep moving in God's direction. So the direction thing kind of got me going because uh, before I worked at Journey, um, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And I would teach this uh, phrase to all of my students. Um, it was just very helpful for them and helpful for, for us. And here's what it says. It says, direction, not intention, determines where you go. Direction, 
not intention determines where you go. Now, here's how I can help you, you, you realize that. How many of y'all plan to go to the beach this at spring break or summertime? Anybody plan to go to the beach? Anybody got a beach house that I can borrow during any of those times? Well, if I wanted to go to Myrtle Beach, right, and I got on I-20 West headed towards Atlanta, will I ever make it to Myrtle Beach? Now, if I pray about it, and I study about it, and I study all that there is to know about Myrtle Beach, will I get there? No. If I talk to my friends who also believe the same thing, and they help me, and they encourage me, they all do all this, will I ever get to Myrtle Beach? No. Never. Because of what? I'm going the wrong direction. And so for us, many times we think as long as we study about it, we sing about it, we memorize about it, but we're going the wrong direction, we're not going to get to where God wants us to be. And so as Pastor Bob talked about last week, our direction matters. And what we learned at the very beginning of Ruth chapter two is that the direction they went, they went back to Bethlehem. They got back to where God was working and where God was moving. That's what they had to do first. They had to get their direction back going. But for us today, we're going to see some other things that we have to do in order for God to continue to work and see how God's working in our life. But before we get there, I think uh, we need to see a couple of things. I want to see this chapter really from two perspectives. I want to see it from the human perspective, what the people in the story are actually doing with their lives. And then I also want to see what happens when um, we see what God's doing in their lives when they don't even know what's kind of behind the scenes, how God's working in chapter two. And so those are two perspectives that I want to look at today when we see in this situation and see in chapter two. And just for record, if you didn't read chapter two, we're going to read all of it together in just a few minutes. All right. So, but let me back up for a moment and kind of get us where we need to go. Um, the truth is, how many of you ever feel like life is moving it like you're, in, you're a hamster just inside of a wheel, just going, 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 right? You do the same thing each and every day, all the time, right? One of the, one of the epitomes I had of this was last year. I have a 13-year-old son, and he started middle school last year. And he goes to Columbia County School. And if you're familiar with our schools, elementary school, they go to school at the blessed time of 8.30 in the morning, right? But not middle school and high school. Middle school and high school goes at the cursed time of 7.15 in the morning. And we are we want to be the family that I, I take him to school most mornings, right? And I remember the first day of school last year, I got in my car, I got my Jeep, and I had him in the car, and I went, this is going to be my life for the next, like, six years, getting up this early to go. Now, those of you who get up at, like, five and do your life, good for you. But for the rest of us, that was early. And I was like, this is going to be my life for, like, the next seven years, six years if, before he starts driving, if he starts driving. It's a it's a privilege, not a right, right? Yep. So if he drives, he might be sitting up here right now. Um, so I was like, man, this is, this is life. And then it, then it even made, made me remember the mundane of just every day, getting up, getting ready, doing the things you have to do to get the kids ready for school, right? Like get up, get yourself ready, brush your teeth, eat something, fussing at them, eat a little bit more, go get their clothes on, fuss at them a little bit more, do all that stuff, right? Like we see that life just has sometimes this mundaneness to it. And then if you're anything like us, there is that cursed question that comes usually around 4.30 or 5 in the afternoon when you talk to your spouse and you go, what's for dinner, right? And it's a question you have to answer every day for the rest of your life. 
And it's always like, oh my gosh, like it's here again. Yep, we got to eat dinner again. There it is. Or even uh, in our case, our daughter, every night we go, hey, at a certain time, time to get in the shower, time to get your shower. She goes, ah, you say that every day. We're like, yep, we say it every day. Like this is what we do. It's how we do it. And so many times we think in life that God's not in those mundane, everyday details. We expect to have a God who shows up in big, mighty ways all the time. And I'm not saying he doesn't show up in those ways. In fact, we just sang a song, right? Same God talked about God, the God of Moses who split the Red Sea wide open, right? The God of Abraham, the God of, of Mary, who, um, conceived, how she conceived Jesus. God does do supernatural things. But I think a lot of times us Christians expect God to do supernatural things all the time when the truth is he really works in the mundane, everyday things, mostly. It's where he wants to work. It's in that every day. You see, we want you to experience God in great ways today while you're at church. But just as much, we want you to experience God tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday until you come again next Sunday. And we do it all over again. And in the every day, we see God at work. He's told us things to do. He's asked us to do things. He's given us ways that he works through our lives. And we want to see him do those things. But too many times we feel like God has to do it in some super, supernatural way, something crazy. And if he does that, that's awesome. And we'll celebrate that story and we'll talk about it and we'll give God all the glory in those moments. But to me, it's even cooler when we watch God do it in the small and everyday things. You see, last year, um, we read a book here on staff called Atomic Habits. Anybody ever heard the book Atomic Habits? James Clear, few of you, not many of you. Cool, I can explain it to you. Atomic Habits is a book about habits. Yep, and atomic habits. And when I first thought about atomic, my first initial thought was the atomic bomb, right? So some big, grandiose way of God's, if you just revolutionize your habits into this way, this will change your life forever. That's what I thought I was going to read. But what I ended up reading was atomic, really small atom type habits can change your life. And it was a great book. It was very helpful. In fact, one of the best things I learned from it was a, was a, a, a technique called habit stacking. Have you ever heard of habit stacking? If you read the book, maybe. Habit stacking is simply the habits you want to gain into your life you stack them on top of a habit you already have in your life. So let me help you. Maybe you have this habit. How many of you brush your teeth? If someone's not raising their hand, just look next door. Okay, there you go. They ain't brushing their teeth every day. Hopefully you brush your teeth every day, right? Well, I started to stack a habit on top of brushing my teeth every day. One of the first things I do when I go to brush my teeth, I grab my phone and I pull up, no, I pull up the Bible, I pull up the Bible and go ahead and start reading my Bible for the day every time I go to brush my teeth. Really simple habit, habit stacking to get me to a place where I'm doing this. And so I want to make sure that we're doing these small things. And here's, here's actually what he says in the book that I thought would be um, good for us. Here's the, here's the quote. Changes that seem small and unimportant at first will compound and turn into remarkable, remarkable results if you are willing to stick with them for 30 days. If you're willing to stick with them through January and February. 
What does he say? What does James Clear say? This isn't the Bible. This is just the guy talking. It's okay. He says what? For years. Now, we don't like that answer. It's going to take us years. Yes, years. Again, we want to see God do these big things. Why does God need to, why does God need to wait years to do something, right? Um, we had a small group uh, here in this church for a little while when I first got here um, that we asked all the couples in our small group, how long should you have to pray for something before you think God should be answering? And the consensus among the group was one month. We pray about something for one month, God should be answering. Some of you are saying that long, right? We live in a society that we get everything like this. Everything happens quickly and we should, be, we should get whatever we want. And, and it's instant. When the truth is God works so many times in a much longer season and usually in a much longer season than we want, than we expect. So we got to see God doing these things. And so that's what we want to see happen in this. So why, um, uh, why, why is that true? Why do we want to do, do this? There's a couple of reasons why we want to do it. But, but let me tell you a little bit more about my story so we can get there as well. Um, I started in ministry in 2004. Um, I started at the church that I grew up in. Um, I grew up at the church. I was there 29 and a half years of my life in that church with about four and a half, five of those being on staff at the church. Um, and my, my pastor, who was also my boss at the time, had a goal of reading the Bible a hundred times all the way through before he died. And he started this uh, challenge and this goal, for, goal of his late in life. And so he was having to read through the entire Bible three times a year, which that's a good chunk of reading have to do to get through it. But that was his goal. Well, I thought that's a good goal. Um, I probably should try to do that. And so I started that year when I started ministry. <laughs> so I was working in the church and working for God and being paid as a professional Christian. I should read through the whole Bible. And so I started doing that, right? Um, and it takes you, honestly, it takes you about 15 minutes a day if you read the Bible every day. So this is not about packing, patting myself on the back or anything like that. It's just about, hey, you need to kind of, a goal you should do. And it's actually a really easy goal uh, when you see it over the long term. Well, thankfully, I've been doing that since 2004. Um, I've been able to read through the Bible. In 2009, I got my first iPhone, right? And, and the app had been out on the iPhone called YouVersion. Maybe many of you have it on your phone. It's a Bible app. It's the most downloaded Bible app there is. Um, and it gives you plans to help you read through it. And so that's been a big benefit to me to make sure that I could read through the Bible. And again, I don't say that because I want to pat myself on the back. I say that because the year 2020 happened. Now, for some of us, the year, the year 2020 is cursed, right? It's a crazy year. But I'll tell you this, for me, 2020 happened before March 15th of 2020 happened. 2020 was a year that as a church, um, we knew coming into that year that Pastor Bobby was going to take a sabbatical. He's going to take six weeks off between January, I mean, excuse me, between February and March. Six weeks, gone, not around, trying not to mess with him, trying to leave him alone, letting him have his six weeks of rest and, and rejuvenation and all that stuff. Um, and it was a big time, especially for me. So around here, my job is to work with all of our teams. So when he was going to leave, I got left in charge, which was not what I was looking for. All right. But also in that same time, we, were, we had just acquired uh, Journey Sherwood in South Augusta, and we were trying to get it ready for its grand opening. 
And so there was a lot of construction going on over there, a lot of just remodeling, all kinds of stuff, which if you know me at all, construction is not my forte, right? I don't own many tools because I don't know how to use many tools. Um, But I was left in charge. So I had to do that, had to make sure that was going. Also, I had to preach a couple of times during that series. And so that's a lot just for somebody who doesn't do it every week and having to preach three times on a Sunday becomes a lot. And so I was already stressed out during those first few months of uh, 2020 before the real craziness of 2020 happened. In fact, I, pr- I told Pastor Bobby, hey, while you're gone, there's two things I'm praying for. One, that uh, no big construction financial situation happens down at Sherwood and that nobody on our team quits. Like while you're gone, hopefully none of those things happen. Totally forgot to pray against a global pandemic. All right. Now that's on my list. That stays on my list from here on out. But before that time, never knew that right? And then March 15th comes along and we have to shut down church. Now, as someone who's been in church their entire life and basically every Sunday of my life has basically been spent in a church to say, we're shutting this down. I was like, oh my gosh. So I had to call Pastor Bobby, Pastor Bobby off his sabbatical. And I go, hey, we got some problems we got to deal with, right? And then we shut down church. And then maybe for you, life shuts down, right? Jobs get all messed up. Finances become questions, all kinds of just craziness happens. And the only thing that kept me sane during that time was my Bible reading. What I've been doing year in and year out every day. And again, not because of anything from me, but it was the kind of the foundation, the thing that had been there that I can go, you know what? God's still true. God's still God. God's gonna, I have no idea what's happening on this earth, but he'll, he'll, he's gonna do something through this. And that, I mean, I distinctly remember sitting at my house going, man, if I didn't have this backbone, this security in this moment, if my security was in anything else, that this world is falling apart, I would be messed up. And so those little small habits helped. So why do I tell you all those things? Because there's two truths, I think, that happen here in the book of Ruth in chapter two that we need to remember. All right, the first one is this. God acts primarily through people. God acts primarily through people. God wants to use you and God uses other people to do his will for you. Now, can he use other things? Of course. He's talked through animals. He's used angels. He's moved natural uh, resources, all kinds of stuff. But ultimately what we see through all of scripture is he acts primarily through people. He uses you. He wants to use you. Here's the truth. Something you may be praying about today He actually wants to use you to fix it. He's not just going to magically fix it. He's going to use people to fix it. And the second thing is this. It's in the everyday that God does most of his work. It's in the everyday. Not that supernatural, not that crazy, but the everyday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, your way to work, your work, whatever, whatever life brings you each and every day, God wants to work through that. All right? So open up your Bibles if you haven't already, uh, Romans, Ruth chapter two, Ruth chapter two. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be on the screens. If you want to follow along notes, you can scan that little QR code in front of you and it'll bring up the message notes if you want to follow along that way. So Ruth chapter two, we're going to read it all together. All right. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Who in here is wealthy and influential? Oh, come on. No one raised their hand first service either. We have some humble people here. 
who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So he's a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer, which we'll get to in a moment. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. That kind enough is a big deal going, going along. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out and gathered the grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, that's a key phrase in this chapter. And as it happened, this is God at work. She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Limelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is this young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So Boaz is paying attention to his fields. He's coming to check on the things he owns, his workers, and he finds Ruth uh, working in his fields and he asks about her. So here is Boaz being attentive, paying attention to Ruth, who's working very, very hard. Boaz went over to her and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when, uh, when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. And so Boaz is taking care of Ruth. So, hey, look, stay with me. He's protecting her. He's paying attention to her. He's blessing her by saying, hey, if you, when you need water, come over here and get it. And then Ruth says, what have I done to deserve such kindness? This kindness thing is kind of a big deal all throughout the story. And she asks, I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among the complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. Boaz is blessing her and asking God to take care of her in these moments. And then she says, I hope to continue to please you, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called, come over here and help yourself to some food. And, dip your, and you can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz uh, gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all that she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work, again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And to pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Again, Boaz's blessings and blessings on top of what for Ruth. So Ruth gathered the barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over for her, from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Naomi was paying attention and asking, hey, what's going on? Naomi said, even realized that it's God working in all this situation uh, and that God was working through Ruth's ordinary work. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today, his name is Boaz. May the Lord bless him. Naomi, the daughter-in-law, told, told the daughter-in-law, he is showing you kindness, his kindness. There's that word again. To us, as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. That season is about four months long. 
And good, Naomi exclaimed, do as he said, my daughter, stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued to work with him through the wheat harvest in the early summer. All the while she lived there with her mother-in-law. So again, there's your old chapter two. You finally read it all. You can, you can tell Pastor Bobby you read chapter two in preparation for this week. But we can see how God's at work. We can see how the people in the story are doing something and how God is working behind the scenes in the situation. We can also see where um, the, uh, God is using the ordinary things of everyday life to work and how God is using people in this story to work. So those are the big things that we need to pay attention to. So let's look at some of these characters in the story, all right? The people who happened in the story. The first one in chapter two, we are introduced to Boaz. He is a wealthy and influential family member that owned the land where Ruth showed up to work. She just happened to show up there, this land that actually belonged to family. There's a few other things we see about him when he interacts with the workers and when he interacts with Ruth. We can see that he has integrity, right? He's coming and keeping accountable his workers. You see how he greets his workers, how his workers greet him, right? He is a man of integrity, right? He's a man who's accountable. He's paying attention to what's going on in his fields. He's an attentive boss and he's a kind boss. A lot of what we see in Boaz is ultimately what we see in God, that he's attentive, that he's kind, that he's protecting us, that he's working for us, right? But for some of you, you may still be stuck in chapter one. You may, your life right now may be in a situation where you're like, you know what? I don't know if I believe all that because here's where my life is right now. And it's hard for me to believe that God is kind and God's paying attention and God's for my good when you see my life right now. The truth behind that is this, is simply this. The, true, the trueness of who God is and his character is not dependent upon where you are at right now. He's good to us no matter what. Now, we can t- deal with your feelings. We can deal with your situations. We can know that they're rough and difficult, but it doesn't change who God is. I have a friend who's going through a lot right now with his family. He's got a lot of things going on and it's making him question what he believes about God. And I get that. But at the same time, my job is to be empathetic with him, to walk with him through it. But at the same time, remind him of the truths of who God is and who, who he is. And so Boaz, as we see him show up in the story, when, when at the end of chapter one, it's all terrible and awful. And they had just finally start moving in the direction of God. We almost see the God-like character showing up as Boaz, who's going to take care of, who's attentive, who's going to walk with them. That's who God is. Now, the other character in this is the one we already met, right? Ruth. In the first chapter, we realize that Ruth is loyal. We realize that uh, Ruth is willing to walk with uh, a new family. But now we see that Ruth is someone who is hardworking and someone who is humble. And I think those things are huge too, because here's, you say, well, why did she start working in the fields? Well, if you've been reading your Bible daily this year, you're getting to those really hard books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Well, there are laws in those books that tell us what Ruth is doing. In fact, those laws tell us, hey, if you have a harvest field, don't pick it so well that you don't leave anything behind. Leave stuff behind so that foreigners and widows, Ruth happens to be both of those, can glean off of your fields. So here we see that she's just doing what she knows to do. Hey, go work this field. They should let you kind of come behind them and get and pick up. Ruth is gleaning for her and Naomi, for them to survive, for them. 
They're taking the little bit that they can. Now, again, Boaz is extremely kind to her and allows her more than that, but she at least starts that way. She at least does what she should be doing little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit. What can I get right now? How can I survive today? So my question for you is, what, what are you gleaning? Where are you finding the little things of the goodness of God each and every day? Where are you gleaning? The truth is you're gleaning something in life, whether that's on your phone and what you stare at and pay attention to all day, whether that's what you listen to in your car, whether that's what you watch on TV, whether that's who you're hanging around, you glean stuff all day long. The question is, are you gleaning the good things that God has for you? Are you surrounding yourself with the people who will help you glean the good things that God wants for you? Again, earlier we talked about your direction determines your destination, not your intentions. If you say you want to grow in God and you say you want to grow in your relationship with God, but nothing you do in your life helps you do that, then you're not going in the right direction. So you got to glean these certain things. She was gleaning along, kind of going, this is where God is. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the laws and the good things that he tells me to do. And in that, she was able to do all that God wanted her to do. And God was using all of that. The last character we meet in this chapter um, I say character. They're not characters. They were real people. Um, what is Naomi? And Naomi, kind of as, as Ruth comes back from her hard day's work and understands what's going on, she gives Naomi all this stuff. She tells Naomi where she, where she has been. Naomi realizes and sees the connection of what God's doing. She sees how God is using, all, this, is, this was a family member that you, that you did this at. Here's how he's working. Here's what he's doing. Here's where he's blessing. And this is a different Naomi than we had at the end of chapter one last week. Like, look at, if you have your Bibles, look at the, look at the end of chapter one. How is Naomi at the end of chapter one? What does she say? She doesn't even want to be called Naomi anymore. What does she want to be called? Mara, right? Whoa, like just death, because death had been happening in her life. And just by the end of chapter two, which, side note, life doesn't always work this way. It's not going to be, oh, we're end of chapter one, chapter two, everything's good again, but it's happening this way in this story. We see that she's seeing how God is working in her life. We see how God's using the situation and she can see that God's doing something with all of the ordinary work of everyday life. So we see that in Naomi. So that's how we see the people happening in the story. The other perspective I told you you want to look at is how God is working in this situation, right? See what God is working. And this happens all the way. Uh, in fact, it reminds me of this quote first, and then I'll get to the chapter. Uh, when I look at the God perspective of this, I'm reminded of this quote from John Piper. And here's what it says. It says, every day in every circumstance, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. God's doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. I always get amazed at watching God work in ways that I didn't expect because I was only aware of three ways. I mean, just think about your life right now. All the relationships you have, work, school, um, family, just uh, hobbies, whatever it is that, may, that God could be working in all those situations. In fact, one gentleman stopped me between services uh, after last service and told me how God's working in one of his uh, fun things he likes to do. Um, that they have a hobby that a group of guys from here do together. And it's been amazing to how God work in the situations and how he was making a phone call to one person about something totally random, and that guy ended up needing counsel in that moment. God was working and using him in that moment when he wasn't even after it. 
Um, it, it, so God is always working in ways that we don't always see. And so we see at the beginning of chapter two, there was that phrase that I read earlier. Um, it said this, it says, and as it happened, the NIV says, and as it turned out, the ESV translation says this way, she happened to come to. All of these are phrases we just kind of throw away when in reality, this is God working in the situation. This is God putting her ordinary work into a supernatural situation. Reminds me of the uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse nine, that says this, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. That should be our prayer every day. God, I'm gonna plan. I'm gonna do the things you call me to do, but I need you to establish my steps. I need you to do what you need to be doing and paying attention to that. And so we see this. I see where he's working there. Now, there was a word I mentioned earlier that kind of flowed all throughout that chapter. And that word was kindness. In, 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 the, in the old language, it's hased. It's this uh, steadfastness. It's this long kindness. It's this drawing that's constantly there, a mercy that throughout this whole chapter and throughout all of this, God is being kind to Ruth and her family, even though they don't see it. Again, it's not just one big supernatural moment. It's in the everyday, month-long seasons, the harvest that God's working. And in fact, if we read chapters three and four of Ruth, and as we've seen throughout all of the Bible, God has his kindness all over all of this. He uses this story alone to point us to Jesus. In fact, this is the family line that Jesus comes from in the Bible. And so we see this happening. Um, We see him working through this situation that all of the kindness that Boaz is giving to Ruth, God wants to give to us and has given us through all of the situation. And so we need to be reminded that God is constantly working. He's constantly in a steadfast love and mercy towards us in all of our situations. And regardless of what your season looks like in the moment, he is working all those things for your good. That's what Paul tells us in the New Testament is that all of these things are working for the good of those who love him. And so I wanted to finish today as I was studying this message um, with a quote from a guy named David uh, McLemore. And he says this, he says, following God doesn't always feel like a straight line upward to glory. Sometimes our circumstances push us way down low, but the low place is where we find our savior. He was born in a manger. He had no place to lay his head. He died condemned on a cross, but he is called the king of glory. In God's economy, the low place is the high place. The story of Ruth reaffirms this truth. It makes sense. Jesus comes from this lowly woman. This poor outsider is the ancestral mother of the king. So what do we do with these things today? What do you do with them? What do you do with them tomorrow? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What do you do with these truths? You keep walking. You keep walking in the direction that God's called you to go. You keep your eyes open. You pay attention to what's happening around you and who's around you. You surround yourself with people who will point you in the right direction and who'll help you see, right? Naomi and Ruth headed in the direction of Bethlehem because that's where God was. And they did the ordinary things that God's called them to do. And they surrounded themselves with people who would point them and make those connections for them. And God was working through all of that. Let's pray.
I want to pray a blessing over you. It's the same blessing that Boaz prayed to Ruth in this chapter. He said this. He said, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. Heavenly Father, help us stay the course. Help us remember that in the mundane, everyday areas of life, you are working. You want to use us um, for our families, for our relationships, for our jobs, for all that we have. God, you use each of these things. And God, we look for the supernatural. God, if you want to do something crazy and great and big, please go for it. But help us remember that you also work in the small and in the little and many times the frustrating. God, we thank you that you, your kindness works with us. Other parts of the Bible say it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. We say around here quite a bit, we want to encourage people to take next steps. God, you work in these, these ways, through kindness, through encouragement, through mercy. God, help us to see how you're working. And God, thank you most of all that from the book of Ruth, and from this line of family, we get Jesus, who did give up his life for us, who did give us a harvest that's eternal, that regardless of what happens on earth, we have a home with you for all eternity. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.